Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Paul Heyman, and I am the advocate for the beast, Brock Lesnar, and we are here to put the nail in the coffin. Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. I am Tom Valentino, joined as always by Travis Uli. Trav, how you doing tonight? Great, Tino. How about yourself? I'm doing great as well, because as folks might have figured out from that opening, we have a legitimately big episode today. Paul Heyman, advocate of Brock Lesnar, and for my money, the all-around best hype man in the world, is making an appearance on The Nail. Yeah, pretty pretty incredible. All, all due respect to our... Uh to our previous guests of the local media uh, variety, um, really stepping it up in terms of the star power tonight. Yeah, it's going to be hard for anybody to top Heyman, so this is no uh, this is fun. No but, question. But yeah, if you're, uh, if you're a regular listener, uh, this episode is definitely going to be a little bit different from what we normally do, and if you're checking out our show for the first time, and I suspect that will be a lot of you, uh, we're a Cleveland sports podcast. Um, we talk Cavs, Browns, Indians, Buckeyes, uh, whichever teams uh, in season are making news, and we do it once a week. Uh, we've got a website where you can catch all our episodes, thenailpodcast.com. And uh, if you like what you hear, you can always subscribe to our show on iTunes. Just search for The Nail in the Coffin. But as I mentioned this week, we're branching out from sports and into the world of sports entertainment because on Sunday in downtown Cleveland here at the Q, WWE is going to be in town for its Fastlane pay-per-view event. And I was able to convince the News Herald, our local newspaper here on the east side of town, my former employer, Travis, your former employer as well. Absolutely. They, uh, yeah, they gave me the go-ahead to write a feature story for their entertainment section uh, previewing the Fastlane show. And in the process, the good people at WWE set me up for an interview with Paul Heyman, the aforementioned advocate for Brock Lesnar, who's going to be wrestling in the Fastlane main event uh, triple threat threat match with uh, Dean Ambrose, Roman Reigns, uh, should be a good one. Uh, I've been told my story for the News Herald should be available online at news-herald.com by lunchtime on Thursday. It's going to be running in the print edition of the Herald and its sister paper, the Lorraine Morning Journal, uh, sometime this weekend. I would definitely encourage you to go check that out. It was a lot of fun to write. Uh, back to the interview, though. Um, as part of the deal, uh, Heyman and WWE were gracious enough to uh, answer some questions for our podcast as well. So for this episode, we're going to play that interview with Paul Heyman. And then in the back half of the show, I'm going to bring Travis back. We're going to talk some more on Fastlane, maybe hit uh, WWE in general. And time permitting, uh, we're going to try to get into some regular programming here with a couple thoughts on the Cavs and the NBA trade deadline. Enough for me now, though. Uh, let's get into the interview with Paul Heyman. Here we go. Paul, uh, just help set the scene for me. Can you tell me where you're calling from today? Any interesting things that you're working on? Um, the call today is happening from my office in New York City. I run and uh, co-founded or co-run and co-founded um, 
a marketing and advertising agency called the Looking for Larry Agency, and uh, working on several different pro- projects before I bolt out the door and pick up my kids from school today. Okay. We're talking about you working with Brock, and I, this goes really all the way back to 2002. He debuted, uh, I believe you introduced him to the WWE audience. Take me back there. How did you guys get paired up working together, and what were your first impressions of Brock? Well, Brock was being scheduled for dark matches, which are matches that are not specifically taped for um, contemporary television. They may be saved for future use, but they're not being used at the moment. It's just so that the company can get, and the decision makers and the writers and the creative team can get a look at specific talent as to whether or not they should be called up to the main roster. And Brock was at that stage where he was performing on the dark matches, and it came to my attention that he was being given terrible advice by some of the veterans. So we kind of decided to have a conversation together regarding this, and I ended up asking if I could produce some of his stuff, and we hit it off so well that we were paired on air as well as behind the scenes. To that end, as you're watching him perform in some of these dark matches, was there a specific moment you remember where you realized, like, hey, this guy really could be an all-timer? I knew of Brock Lesnar when he became the NCAA Division I heavyweight champion out of the University of Minnesota. Um, He had such buzz, more buzz than any amateur wrestler that had come along in, in, in ages. He was being heralded by the media in Minnesota, and rightfully so, as just being amongst the most gifted athletes anyone had ever seen. Uh, someone of that size and that strength to have that speed uh, was just um, an awe-inspiring athlete, the likes of which very few had ever seen. So when WWE signed Brock Lesnar in 2000 to a developmental contract, I, I had my eye on him from day one, even before I went to WWE, because I knew of this once-in-a-lifetime, once-ever athlete who just got signed by the largest sports entertainment conglomerate in the world. So he had an unbelievable run for about two years and then went over, tried his hand in football, got into UFC. You kind of went away from WWE, I think it was 06, right? December 06, yes. Okay, he came back, Brock, that is, came back in 2012, and you popped up back on screen with him pretty quickly. Was there any doubt that you guys would be working together again when he returned? I don't know if doubt's the right word. Um, you know, when Brock first came back to WWE, the theory was, let's get through the Cena match and see if we can still do business together. Because there was a lot to work out between Brock's side and WWE's side from the past. Each had issues with the other. So the concept was 
to get through Brock versus Cena as a super fight, as a big money match coming out of that year's WrestleMania. And let's see how everybody's getting along once we get past Brock versus Cena. Well, it seems like it's everybody has been pretty happy since because here we are almost four years later and Brock's still working and and you're still with him and got a main event coming up here uh, in a week and a half. Fair to say? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I, I... I, I'm still surprised to this day how long this run has lasted. Um, it was originally only supposed to be one year for both of us. And, um, you know, it, things were just working to everybody's advantage. So it got extended and it's been extended again. Um, so it's, uh, it, it's a very unique situation in that Nobody could have foreseen this to be the future. Certainly, WWE didn't didn't think it. But certainly, Brock didn't think it, and I can I can assure you, I didn't think it either. So it's a uh, it's been a pleasant experience, I think, for all parties because it, it's a pleasant surprise that, of of the longevity that that, that it's uh, garnered. He's got a unique was the one word that you threw in there. He's got a, a pretty unique deal where I think since he's been back, he only works select pay-per-view events and occasionally uh, a live event that's not televised um, once in a while. I don't think he's been on uh, free TV really at all um, since he's been back, especially with with, with guys like um, some of the other veterans that have been around and kind of dialing back their schedules a little bit, I think, like The Undertaker. You look at Brock as like the last truly great, unique, special attraction not the last because um, what will John Cena's schedule be in 10 years? What will Randy Orton's schedule be in 10 years? What will Triple H's schedule be in 10 years? I bet you Vince is going to wrestle in his 80s. <laughs> so I, um, I I can't say that Brock is the last great special attraction. Um, I, I, I think we're entering a period of the business where there are going to be more special attractions um, because there are just so many legends and great legacy performers that are available to come back for a match or two or three when it makes sense, when the story is right, when the circumstances are correct, when the audience is willing to pay to see it. Um, So the last great, no. Uh, A great, absolutely. He's such a unique talent, and it just seems like his matches have a completely different feel from anybody else that you watch, just in terms of his size and athleticism and all the same stuff that really caught your eye back when he was still wrestling at Minnesota. And I think a lot of people, myself included, would put you in a category where you're on a level verbally um, and delivering um, those interview segments that are really unlike anything anybody else is doing. Just in your words, you guys as a tandem, what sets you apart and makes you guys special and unique and engaging for fans? I think the Brock Lesnar-Paul Heyman dynamic is that at the core, we're, we're authentic. Our bond is authentic. 
He is an unrepentant, uncaring god of retribution. But yet, you can always see on television, he cares for his advocate. My character is, is at times, the slimiest backdoor manipulator in the history of WWE, but you can tell he has his client's interest always at heart. Um, and that is quite authentic about us in that our bond is very real. Our friendship is very real. And um, you can tell by what I say, I am absolutely the biggest Brock Lesnar fan on the face of the planet. I have such admiration and respect for his ability, for his skills, for his performances, that I am in awe of the fact that I have the, the word privilege is overused, but I have the honor and the privilege of actually describing his capabilities to a mass audience and try to convey to them the enormity of the talent that stands before them. On the flip side, you can tell he's thoroughly entertained by what I say about him because he never knows what I'm going to say. He never asks me, ever, and he enjoys listening to it while he's out there live with the audience. <laughs> so we have a truly genuine mutual admiration society Though I would suggest I admire him far more than he could ever admire me. If you don't use that one on your podcast, Joe Villa was right about you. <laughs> I, I'm going to use that in the podcast and in the, the, the feature story in the paper, and I might even um, tweet it and broadcast it on Facebook and Instagram and everywhere else I'm working. So I will Knock promise you... Out. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to get the most out of that one. Um, this is Brock's first actual match. I know he's appeared in Cleveland on Raw doing some interviews and other things, but I think this is the first time he's actually wrestling a match in Cleveland since 2003. For people that are buying a ticket to the show next weekend, what can they expect to see in, in a big fight atmosphere of a, that's known as a Brock Lesnar match? By its very definition, a Brock Lesnar match is a big money match. You are seeing something that will be discussed many years from now. You are seeing a once-ever athlete in action, in his prime, at his best. Imagine if you could go back in time and see Bob Feller. That's a good reference for Cleveland, isn't it? Absolutely. Bob Feller, in his prime, on his absolute best day, throw that baseball at the greatest hitters of his time and strike them all out. Imagine being able to go back in time and seeing that. Um, a lot of people feel that way now watching LeBron. Here is an athlete at his best at his peak when no one else even remotely compares. Same way with Brock Lesnar. You are watching 
it'd be like going back in time and, and, and watching Jim Brown run the football. The same thing. The same thing. No one could compete. No one was even close. No one was in his league, let alone even within his, within his universe. Brock Lesnar is the conqueror of the WWE universe because no one, absolutely no one, is on his level. And if you purchase a ticket to see Brock Lesnar in action, you will be seeing a once-ever athlete top of his game when he's at his absolute best performing at a level no one else can match. I'm sold. All right, let me ask you this. Um, just beyond working with Brock, you've, you've worked with some other wrestlers uh, through the years, and there's a term that's really become a, a term of prestige for wrestlers, the the Paul Heyman guy. And I think that's a term that we've heard more and more of in, in the past decade or so. It's a term that I've come to understand Really, the guys that seem to get that are either somebody who's at the, the top of the card, like a Brock Lesnar, or somebody who's an up-and-coming star that the uh, front office uh, seems like they might be high on. But not everybody that falls into those two categories is a, a Paul Heyman guy. So in your words, as actually being Paul Heyman, what makes a wrestler a Paul Heyman guy? What makes someone a Paul Heyman guy or a Paul Heyman girl is the simple fact that at some time in their life they came under the tutelage of Paul Heyman. That whether I was a writer or director or producer of their segments or of their entire career, um, I had a certain relationship with that person at a given time in which my role was to explain things whether it be the psychology of the promo or the politics behind the scenes, my job in, in that, in that, or my role in that relationship was to rabbi a person either in front of the camera or behind the camera. And um, whether it was Steve Austin simply tapping into his own resources of his of, of his ability in ECW or whether it was other members of the ECW roster that I got to work with hands-on as their writer, director, producer, or whether it was just someone that I got to work with who already had a reputation and, and, and a well-deserved one. And, and knowledge of the industry, but didn't understand the circumstances he was entering in WWE, such as CM Punk, who, by the way, deserves the credit for popularizing the phrase, because the phrase Paul Heyman guy was active behind the scenes for many years until CM Punk went public with it. There were a lot of guys, you know, oh, what about this guy? Hey, you know, he's a Paul Heyman guy. And that actually was a knock on CM Punk while he was in WWE and there were people that were against his rise and they would say things along the lines of, Hey, you know, you got to be careful of CM Punk. He's a Paul Heyman guy, which is why he, when he went public with it, he said it with such passion because it was actually used against him. And now he was getting to turn it around and use it in his own favor. So a Paul Heyman guy is simply someone that at some point came under my tutelage and 
whether it was um, behind the scenes or the, the aspect of the performance was someone that I got to teach something to in this industry. Okay. Well, to that end, are there performers and people within the company who have lobbied behind the scenes? And you don't necessarily have to name names if you don't want to, or you can. That's your call. Are there guys that have made that push to try to get to work with you? And conversely, are there uh, talents that you've seen that you're like, I want to work with that guy or I want to work with that girl? Um, I, I can't imagine a situation where someone would come to me and ask for advice and I wouldn't be um, flattered enough to um, take them up on the invitation to do so. Um, I, I can't recall ever turning somebody down that, that would come and seek advice because when I was a kid in this business, and I'm talking about going back to when I was a 15-year-old photographer, let alone a kid who broke in at 21 as a performer, I don't recall any veteran who turned me down when I, I asked advice. I, I, I am the beneficiary of some very generous people who took time out of their lives to educate me on this industry. So um, my responsibility in giving back and in passing that knowledge down is that if anybody comes up to me uh, in that locker room and says, hey, uh, could I bounce some things off you? Hey, let me seek your advice on this. Let me get your opinion on this. Uh, it, 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 it's, my, it's my obligation and my, and, and, and my pleasure to work with them on that basis. Are there any performers past or present from any point of your career who you haven't necessarily represented on screen or you haven't worked with behind the scenes or you didn't get a chance to when they were there that looking back you're like, wow, I really wish I, I could have had that opportunity? Well, on a purely selfish basis, I'd like to be Vince McMahon's business manager so I could take a piece of the action. Okay, at that point, uh, the uh, PR folks at WWE stepped in and uh, gave us the uh, the cue to go home, so to speak. Uh, Paul needed to get going, but uh, big thank you to uh, Paul Heyman for taking the time to talk to us and get us hyped up for Fastlane. Trev, I don't know about you, but uh, just having a WWE pay-per-view event here in Cleveland, it, it's always fun. But uh, knowing that we got Brock Lesnar on the card with Paul Heyman here, it, uh, it has me even more excited. Yeah, it definitely brings a little more attention to it. I think I was, uh, I actually went to a pay per view there um, probably, when was the last one that was here? Probably two years ago. Um, The last WWE pay per view in Cleveland, I believe, was in December of 2014. So it was about 14 months. Okay. Yeah, I actually, one of my friends got tickets to that and we went and it was, it was a lot of fun. There wasn't, um, there wasn't a ton of star power, if I remember correctly. And I, and admittedly, I go through phases where I, where I'll follow WWE pretty closely and others where I have no clue what's going on. So admittedly at the time I wasn't exactly up to date on what the latest uh, happenings were around the, uh, the former Federation. But um, I got to say, if, if you, if you told me Tino that you were putting in a request to WWE uh, for someone to talk to, and they said, you can have anyone you want the choice probably still would have been Paul Heyman. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Cause I will tell you that 
anytime I know there's a show coming to town, I always start thinking about, man, it would be really cool to do a story. I did a story with WWE for another pay-per-view. It was the Survivor Series that was here way back in 2004. And back then I got a chance to talk to uh, Flair and Vince McMahon and Triple H all in the span of about 45 minutes. So um, that was just an amazing experience. And I always thought getting another chance to talk to somebody from WWE would be really great. And I think it was about six weeks ago that the Quicken Loans Arena Twitter account came out and said that Brock Lesnar was going to be appearing at the pay-per-view. And my antenna went up because if Brock Lesnar is going to be here, Paul Heyman's going to be here. And I could just tell you that from talking to him during that interview and, and what we said just off uh, the recording, so to speak, um, he is an incredibly sharp guy, incredibly eloquent and and just witty as hell. So if you can get somebody going um, in an interview to talk WWE and beyond, he's great. Yeah, absolutely. And I think probably the biggest theme I took from it um, is he, he, I mean, if you, if you see him on TV, he's, he's as arrogant and braggadocious and admittedly kind of a bit of an asshole um, as, as you'll find. And, and I guess this interview sort of showed that that is, that's purely character. He's, he's definitely still selling. Um, you can, you can pick that up in his voice. He's always, he's pushing something and he's got, uh, but he feels strongly about it. And, and he came off as almost a polar opposite version of his character and that he was incredibly humble. Um, he mentioned once where, uh, if people come and ask him for his advice, not only does he willingly offer it, but it, it flatters him that people come to it. So it seems like he's, he's, he's pretty grounded. And I think that probably goes back to his roots where he started, where he was in, I mean, he was in ECW, which was a much lower tier, uh, than WWE. And he's really worked his way up, but he seems to have kept himself, um, kind of tuned into where he was before and, sort of how the business works and not letting that go to his head, all the success that he's had. Yeah. I mean, Heyman's career really even predates the ECW stuff. I think that's really for a lot of us, especially people our age tend to really first know him from, but he definitely uh, had a really great run in WCW before that. And really you could go all the way back into the eighties. I think when he was a teenager, I mean, he was shooting photos at, uh, WWE, then WWF events at Madison Square Garden and got himself credentialed. And uh, he's a really fascinating story. And I, I definitely appreciate the time that he gave us. But um, that said, for every question I asked, there was about 17 more that I would have wanted to. Oh, yeah, no question. He's a guy you know, too, that that if if he had the time, he, he'd love to sit there and talk about it. Um, he's He seems just still to this day incredibly passionate about a business that probably leaves a lot of people that, that get involved in it pretty jaded. And um, it, it probably leaves a sour taste in his mouth. And I'm sure there's a lot of stuff that's happened over the years that doesn't rub him the right way, but he's, st he's still seems like he loves the business. Um, I think it was really interesting hearing about how him and Brock got paired together too. Um, yeah, that was originally. something I, I really wanted to, that was when I was trying to figure out a, a story angle to go with for the paper. And that's really the, the Brock Paul Heyman relationship is really the focus of the story um, that's going in the news Herald. But that was really something that I was curious about just because, you know, behind the scenes, he, Heyman um, 
has done a lot of different things, and he was already appearing as an on-screen character for WWE at that point before uh, Lesnar had showed up. So just wondering how those two got paired up and whose call it was. That was fun. Yeah, and I think a lot of times um, to those who, I don't know how much we need to dumb it down really and explain WWE normal, uh, like the scripting and whatnot that goes into it, but a lot of times those, the manager um, wrestler relationship is pretty, is, is essentially forced and it doesn't actually exist outside of the ring, but his, his and Brock's really was where he helped him develop as a wrestler before they even hatched that on-screen duo together that has worked so incredibly well for both of them. Yeah, and I think especially since Brock's come back and and Heyman came back with them, they've done such a great job of keeping the mystique around that whole act, those two guys together, because most of the other guys, they're still on there every week. And if they're not injured, I mean, I know we've got some guys that are on the shelf right now, but if they're healthy and they're ready to go, guys are, are on pretty much every month or every Monday night. And then every month at the pay-per-view and Lesnar, it's, it's always kind of a special deal. And you know, that was the one thing I, I did a really uh, bad job of phrasing the question when I asked him about Brock being, the last special attraction in WWE. And I think uh, Heyman kind of took that uh, to mean a part-timer. And that's fair because I know that's a, a term that kind of becomes synonymous there. But really what I meant, yeah, the part-timer thing is definitely part of it. But even for me, I, I think what just sets those guys apart is that um, a Lesnar match is just so different from any other type of match you're going to see on a WWE card. There's a usual ebb and flow to how a match will go and just certain things that you can expect. And he just brings like such an intensity and such a different level and such a different style. It's, it's really something to behold. And really the same holds true for Heyman uh, on the outside and, and doing uh, everything he does to promote the matches and, and his, uh, his, sorry about that. Ernest is getting fired up over there. Yeah, someone walking outside and he just started barking. Get over here. Lay down. Sorry about that. No, it's all right. I was just going to say, uh, you know, Heyman's uh, in a class of his own. And it was something I had heard from him in another interview that he had done a few months back. Whereas a lot of the guys are very heavily scripted and, and they get very specific marching orders for what they need to say when the light goes on and they get a microphone. He's basically given a... a a few talking points. He knows exactly what he has to promote and he knows how much time he's going to get to do it. And from there, he just goes with it. I mean, he, he comes up with this material ahead of time and, and uh, really works on it, but um, it's, it's his words. And I think he gets a lot of leeway that not many other people do. Yeah. I think that's deserved though. I mean, his, his track record kind of speaks for himself in the way that um, in the way that he's always sort of, his on-screen persona is developed and the way that he's carried himself. And, and like you said, at the beginning, there's, there's not a better hype man at getting, uh, getting people excited for a match or building up, um, building up a match way ahead of time. Because in a lot of these cases, he's got a case, uh, a match with Brock that's lined up and it might be two or three months down the road. And he can't really lean because like you said, to be fair, Brock is kind of a part-timer. Yeah. Um, and and he can't really lean on Brock coming out every week on Raw and, and maybe cutting a promo or, or 
doing a, uh, a match to build up to it. So he really has to be the one that builds that fight up um, and brings the attention to it ahead of time. And he's done it masterfully um, for as long as he's been doing it with both Brock and with CM Punk. He did it really well as well. Yeah, it's I, I was really surprised that he brought up CM Punk and uh, got into the whole thing and uh, about the origins of uh, the Paul Heyman guy as a term of endearment and a, and a badge of honor for wrestlers. Um, just given uh, the less than amicable split between Punk and WWE. And a- after our interview wrapped up, uh, uh, Heyman was kind of joking with me that, oh man, as soon as I, uh, as soon as I bring up Vince's name, the uh, uh, PR has got to jump in and, and uh, they got to, they got to cut me off there. They don't want to hear that. And right. uh, and I told him, I said, I got to be honest, as soon as you brought up CM Punk, I thought we were done there. So, uh, yeah, it, uh, Punk's a good ca- uh, uh, case study. And, and, and just the, the whole, I guess, um, the Paul Heyman guy uh, term in, in general, that was something that I, I wish we, we could have gotten into more because he's worked with a lot of guys. But Lesnar is just really... I think those two as as a as a pair, it's it's just a whole different level. It's it's hard to envision either one right now in uh, in the WWE without the other there with them. Um, I mean, you've seen over the years people have had notable managers or whatever with them, and they've just kind of rotated in and out, and you never really care if one gets moved around or whatever the case is. But it would be really difficult to envision um, that a split up of those two just because they do seem like, I mean, they have their skills play very well into each other in terms of what they bring um, to the screen. And it just, the relationship doesn't really feel forced to me. Um, obviously they're, they're both playing roles. They are both characters. Um, but ultimately it feels like they play really well off of each other, even though admittedly Brock doesn't do a whole lot when he's on screen. He's a pretty, quiet brooding guy who just comes out and occasionally kicks the hell out of everybody. Yeah. I was going to say he doesn't do much on screen until the bell rings is what you're right. saying. Exactly. Exactly. He's not, he's not a talker. He's not real demonstrative. He's not like a, like Stone Cold Steve Austin or the rock or triple H or the guys that you typically look at as um, like the icons of, of the last, I don't know, 15, 20 years. Um, but he absolutely has worked his way into that into that realm. And I don't think that's even remotely possible if he doesn't have Paul Heyman in his corner. Yeah. Cause just for people that don't um, follow WWE as closely. And if you're still uh, dialed into us here, God bless you. It's common a lot of times. And it was especially more so back in the day that when a new wrestler would come in, if he wasn't necessarily as polished um, with his interviews and uh, as comfortable on the microphone, you, you get paired up with a manager to kind of do the talking for you. And, and then the natural split uh, happens. And uh, truth be told, I mean, back in the early 2000s, I think about a year and a half after Lesnar uh, came on board and, and debuted in WWE, he did split from Heyman for a little while. And uh, so it was kind of a, a reunion of sorts to, to see them working together again, but just kind of the way they got it down now, uh, I, I, like you said, I just can't really imagine a scenario where um, they're, they're not sticking together for the long term. It, I just don't think anybody wants to see that. Yeah, and I think um, probably maybe the biggest difference I noticed, I think on screen a lot of times while Heyman is absolutely pumping up Brock as the beast, as he calls him so often, 
um, it, it can almost get the feeling that like Heyman's character almost feels like he made Brock who he is. But when you listen to Heyman talk in that uh, in the interview, he's pretty. I mean, he's pretty candid in that he really admires Brock for um, basically his work ethic and the kind of guy that he is and what um, sort of how he's dove in head first and everything he's done, how he was an excellent wrestler, like college wrestler. Right. And then he was able to, I mean, he tried out the NFL. It didn't, didn't stick obviously, but he's that talented, but he also has an incredible work ethic and you can tell that Paul Heyman really does, um, really does look up to him just as a guy. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest reason they work so well together is because they have that mutual respect that admittedly a lot of times the wrestler probably doesn't, look at his manager quote-unquote that way yeah it's it's just different and it's unique and um it's really why i wanted to talk to him and uh it was uh it was fun so um he also threw in a bob feller shout out how about that oh he knows his audience he he knew he was talking to somebody in cleveland so absolutely yeah that that was uh that was fun um absolutely well I, i can say like I've, I've always liked him in terms of his entertainment value. Um, I love watching the guy, but it wouldn't have surprised me if he was a bit of an asshole, like off screen as well. Um, <laughs> but it didn't, didn't, I didn't really get that vibe at all. Um, from listening to you talk to him. No, he was, he was, he was a super great dude. Very into, into what he's doing and, and very happy, uh, with where he's at. That was the general vibe I got from him and, and enjoying his work, which, I mean, I think that's something that we uh, we all hope for in life. So, all right, hey, yeah, listen. Um, any other thoughts on uh, Lesnar, Heyman, Fastlane, WWE? No, I mean, awesome pull getting him on. Um, Thank you, man. It was fun. Great, great job uh, interviewing him. I know it's probably it's probably a little higher profile than maybe we're used to, but I thought you did a great job, and it was. Uh, while admittedly, like I said, I'm not as into WWE as I once was. Um, he's one of those guys that you, you always, it's always interesting to hear from him and, uh, no, to sort of see a different side of him was awesome. Yeah. He definitely gives you a reason to care when he's on camera and, uh, Absolutely. he's every bit as engaging when he's joining, uh, our humble podcast here. So, all right, before we shift gears, uh, again, huge thank you to Paul Haben for taking the time to talk and get us hyped up for Fastlane. Thank you to Joe Villa and the WWE PR people for coordinating the interview. And uh, thanks to the News Herald for its part in, in this whole deal as well. Um, again, you're going to be able to read the story that I wrote for the News Herald um, on their website, news-herald.com. That should be up by midday on Thursday. Uh, it'll be in print this weekend. WWE Fastlane airs on the WWE Network at 8 p.m. Sunday, uh, February 21st. If you're local here in Cleveland, tickets to the show are available at theqarena.com. All right, Trey, let's uh, let's shift gears here back to uh, our normal uh, business that we would uh, be covering here in a week like this. Let's uh, let's talk about the uh, the main tenants at the queue, so to speak, uh, our Cavaliers. Uh, trade deadline coming up here at 3 p.m. Thursday afternoon. Right before we went on, uh, started recording, I, I perused Twitter. I don't think the Cavs have made any moves. Um, Going to check again, but uh, they've yeah, certainly been uh, rumored for quite a bit. Uh, what do you uh, what What are you thinking here as we get close to the uh, the deadline? Um, I think it's. I mean, it's always crazy time in the NBA around this time of year. Just in general, the 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 shit that you hear coming from people in terms of 
what could happen. Um, today, it seems like the one I heard several times today uh, in terms of possibilities was Kevin Love being shipped off and Ryan Anderson coming in instead, which really makes no sense to me whatsoever. Um, it's not an accident that that story came from a media outlet in the Boston area. Explain what you mean there. Are they saying Love is going to go to Boston? Yeah. In a three-way every, deal? So every trade rumor, the, the Cavs trade rumors to this point have basically fallen into one of two camps. It's going to be some sort of a smaller deal that's going to bring the Cavs a role player that can bolster their bench. Um, they would maybe send out one of their bench players um, towards the bottom of the bench, maybe out of the rotation. Uh, you look at a guy like maybe an Anderson Verjao. I know I've seen Mo Williams' name thrown out there a little bit, um, and some of the proposed trades I've seen online have even thrown in like a Jared Cunningham, the uh, reserve point guard. So small type of deals like that. The other type of deals that you're seeing a lot of right now are these crazy trades that are three-way trades. Inevitably, it's a three-way trade that involves Kevin Love ending up on the Celtics. So basically, it seems like the Celtics, they were hell-bent on trying to get Kevin Love last summer when he was uh, entering free agency. Kevin Love signed with the Cavs or agreed to a deal with the Cavs and then signed it the first day that he could. Um, So he was off the table immediately. So ever since then, there have been rumors starting to perk up again that Boston, sensing that Love might not be the best fit right now in Cleveland, uh, this is their opportunity to pounce. So you start seeing all of these crazy rumors floating around that the Celtics want to get Kevin Love. The problem, though, is the Cavs have made it by all the reports that have come out. Um, everybody's indicated that the only way that uh, Kevin Love's leaving the Cavs is if the Cavs get some sort of a star player in return. The Cavs don't have, or, or the Celtics don't have that. They got a bunch Ryan, of good. And Ryan Anderson ain't it either. Yeah, He's they got a bunch of good player. B-plus players, so to speak. Right. And uh, Ryan Anderson ain't it either, so... Like you, I would be absolutely floored if uh, if some sort of a deal with Kevin Love involved um, happens now. I will right. say this. I, I do think a deal that somehow nets the Cavs Ryan Anderson is possible. I, I don't think it's going to be a deal that involves Kevin Love. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I, I and If every person I've heard linked to the Cavs, like in terms of who they could get in any sort of trade, not a single one of them, with the possible exception of, I think, like probably a week ago, for about an hour and a half, people were floating the ideal of Blake Griffin uh, for Kevin Love, which, A, I don't think is going to happen. B, I still don't know that that drastically improves the Cavs. It might a little. Um, I don't know how much. Um, but But other than that, I don't know that I've heard any name where the Cavs are left better than they are right now, in my opinion, at least. Yeah, here's the um, thing. We've heard Kyle Korver's name out there, but go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the, the, the thing with like a Blake Griffin is like, yeah, he's a big name, and he's definitely a, a superstar level talent in, in the, the area code of what uh, the Cavs are supposedly looking for if they're willing to seriously entertain an offer for Kevin Love. But you got to keep in mind that that guy just broke his hand punching out their, their trainer, was it, a couple weeks ago? Yep. So he's going to be out for several weeks. He's probably going to be facing some sort of discipline after that. How much time are you going to have to really integrate him into your system? And that's the other thing. I mean, 
if you're gonna if you're gonna overhaul your team, and and make no mistake about it, getting rid of Kevin Love is a drastic overhaul to this team. If you get rid of him, you then have only thirty games to basically retool and get everyone on the same page again, which we've already seen is not that easy. They're already struggling with it now with the lineup they have. So personally, I think they just need to stand pat. Uh, the one thing I heard, which honestly I think the best move they can make is wait and hope that Joe Johnson gets bought out and sign him for a vet minimum to take that fit, that last roster spot and run with that. I think that leaves you better than any trade that I've heard. Um, because I just really think they need to, for this year at least, stick with the guys that they have and hope that they develop a little bit over the next 30 games. I wouldn't be shocked if they do make some sort of a lower-level deal for some bench help now. Um, or definitely, if not that, I, I could absolutely see them going and getting a buyout guy after the, the trade deadline's over. And I'm glad you mentioned Joe Johnson. Uh, somebody had mentioned on Twitter uh, yesterday that he's looked uh, quite a bit better in the last uh, six weeks or so, basically since uh, the start of 2016. I went and looked up his numbers, and Joe Johnson, in I think it's 22 games since the start of uh, the calendar year, is averaging 13.1 points, and he's shooting, I think, 46 or 47% from three-point range, uh, getting about four attempts a game. So um, definitely the kind of guy that could provide some scoring punch and uh, would be a very good uh, option to kind of stretch out a defense a little bit when you start getting the second unit on the floor. I think depending on what happens in this trade deadline here, definitely a guy to keep an eye on uh, in the next couple of weeks afterwards. But um, just back to what we were saying with, uh, with, with Kevin Love and some of these other uh, big moves. Um, I just, I, I can't imagine for all the reasons that you've outlined and everything that we've talked about to this point, I just can't imagine that the Cavs would want to make that kind of a seismic change at this juncture, especially having never seen that nucleus of LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Love going through a full postseason together. Now, if they go through this postseason, let's say they keep everybody together and and it, it doesn't work out, uh, you know, God forbid oh, yeah. something happens in the Eastern point. Conference or they go and get waxed by Golden State in the finals or whatever, and at that point you say, like, well, something really needs to be done. That's a different conversation. At least then you know what you have. Whereas right now, I think we know where we're headed, but do we for sure? I mean, it's it's hard to it's hard to imagine them coming up short. I think of at least the finals, and maybe that's maybe that's I don't know hubris on my part and the fact that uh that that, that that's who I'm rooting for. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but truthfully, I think that I think it's a pretty broad consensus across the NBA that it's going to take a pretty major upset for anyone in the East to take out the Cavs and. Truly, in a seven-game series against anyone, even Golden State, playoff playoff basketball is not the regular season. Um, we've seen that time and time again. And so while I wouldn't necessarily call the Cavs a favorite, if they were to um, go into a series against Golden State, they still got a puncher's chance. And in my opinion, they still have the best player in the league. So... If, if you're sitting where they are, I, I like I said, you kind of just say, I, I would like to just see them stand pat, sit where they're at, uh, go with the guys that they have, and 
you know, let the cards fall where they may. If that doesn't work out, then yeah, address it in the off season and see what you got to do to turn it around. One last thing with the trade deadline and some of these rumors that we've been hearing about, what do you make of the rumors that uh, Shump is available? Iman Shumpert might be uh, somebody that the Cavs would be willing to deal. See, the problem I have is that in theory, he's a guy that you have to have, especially if you're going to be playing a golden state. He's the guy you, he's the type of player that you absolutely need. You need that perimeter defender who can guard, uh, who can cover any guard. And so while in theory, I say, no, that's a horrible idea to move him without knowing what they're talking about, getting a return. It's not, there's no point, you know, um, that's the problem with discussing trades when you only know one side of them. Um, but overall, I, I, the only guy that I think I've heard in a trade that I can really see it making sense that they get rid of him is, uh, Mozgov just because he, he doesn't look like the player he was at the end of last season. Um, cause in the playoffs, he, he played his ass off. He was a hell of a player last year at the end of the year. Um, and we just haven't seen that yet from him. Um, but in terms of Shump, it doesn't make sense to me because he fills a role that nobody else on the team really does and a role that's incredibly important if you are going to contend with the Golden State. Yeah, it's just strange. Um, I, I have noticed a couple of games recently, and uh, I think it was the – who did we – was it Charlotte? Did the Cavs lose at Charlotte a couple of weeks ago? Uh, yes, they did. Yeah, I think yeah. it was that one where I, I definitely noticed on more than one occasion it seemed like Shump was uh, asleep at the switch defensively, which I was kind of shocked by because his calling card has been his defense. And really, I mean, he's had a few plays this year, like uh, especially like in that uh, that win at Dallas last month. That he's had some some really brilliant plays, so it's been very hit or miss. And I just. I don't know. I, I, I wonder if uh, it's just a matter of just not focusing and just the grind of the regular season and kind of waiting for the games that matter in April or, or what. But um, I, I, I would he's another one that I would be less surprised, I guess, if he was traded than uh, if it was uh, like a Kevin Love type trade. But um, I, even still, I just I can't see them making a deal without having somebody um, really exceptional lined up to fill in that void because he definitely was very uh, useful and, and productive in the playoffs last year. And I think you would have to trust that that he would, you know, rise to the occasion again. I mean, I think we do forget he missed the first month plus of the season and he's still uh, catching up a little bit, I think. so. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the way that, just the way that he plays – um, like his style and what his strengths are. It translates to postseason basketball. It absolutely does. And at the same time, it also, it can maybe lend itself to not going 100% every night during the regular season. Um, I don't think you're going to see him taking nights off during the playoffs. Um, but if you see him moving a little bit slower, maybe not being as aggressive during the regular season, you kind of have to take that because, like you said, He's he's probably still getting his legs uh, getting his legs back, and overall, when when the lights are on at the end of the season and you need him to be his normal self, I think you can trust that he'll be there. The way that he showed up last uh, last postseason 
you sort of know what he's capable of, and you can expect to see that every night when you need it. Yeah. Last one I'm going to throw out at you here, and then we could go ahead and get out of here, was uh, Woj, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski of Yahoo, and he now runs his uh, own uh, vertical in uh, the Yahoo Sports world called The Vertical. He of the Woj bomb? Um, yes, the uh, the gold standard of reporting in uh, the NBA. He also his... known as also known as uh, Chris Broussard's source <laughs> on essentially everything. <laughs> no, I, he's I, don't even put those two in the same breath. That's <laughs> that's absurd. Um, no, Woj is great, and um, the, he put out his trade deadline buzz piece uh, about an hour before we got on here. And he was saying that the Cavs were very interested in Channing Fry from Orlando and that the Cavs would be looking to move out Anderson Verigel, uh and they would need to have a third team involved because uh, Andy has got another year on his contract guaranteed. He's got two more years total, the third year of his contract not guaranteed, or that, that second year past uh, this season is not guaranteed. And Orlando does not want to take on that contract. Uh, so what they'd be looking at would be the Cavs have a trade exception um, from their past deals, a very sizable one. And uh, I think that would be used, I guess. I'm, I'm a little unclear on the details here. So um, apologies to all the uh, the hardcore NBA fans if I botch this. But uh, I think that could come into play. But basically they need a third team to take Verizon's contract off their hands. So there was some talk of Portland and I think a couple other teams. That might be one to watch. Interesting. Yeah, I know he uh, – I think – he was with Griffin in Phoenix. Is that right? I'm looking him up right now. Um, I think he was with uh, Griffin in Phoenix, so I, I believe Griffin has a bit of a has a bit of a background with him and has has liked him traditionally. So that would be an interesting one. I think he could fit. But yeah, that uh, that Verigel contract is not not going to be easy to move I don't think yeah so he was uh, this is his second year in Orlando and before that one two three uh, he's played four seasons uh, he did play four seasons in Phoenix and uh, he, he uh, looks like he missed a year there uh, a few years ago but um, yeah this year um, I mean he's shooting 40% from three point range uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's the kind of guy that I think would uh, kind of fit into that that Kevin Love mold a little bit, and, and that he's that that prototype uh, stretch four, um, in that he's he's a, a forward, a power forward who can um, also shoot from the outside. So I, I think if you're looking for a very uh, productive piece to add to the bench, uh, give the Cavs a little bit more depth and a few more options to work with, he'd be a great fit uh, to add on. Yeah, I think so too. It, I mean, obviously, it's all going to depend on what they're giving up, but um, and from sort of a emotional, selfish standpoint, you'd hate to see um, you'd hate to see the Cavs get rid of Erzau and then go win <laughs> um, without him. Um, but it's 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 the NBA. It's big boy basketball. So if that's what it takes, you got to do it. But I think a lot of Cleveland fans would probably be a little disappointed by that one if they. Uh, weren't able to reward Andy for his time here. Yeah, definitely a sentimental attachment. I think I read today uh, Verzhev is now the longest tenured athlete in Cleveland. No kidding. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was funny because um, the year after LeBron left, uh, the wife and I were down at a game, and um, 
we were looking to get some new jerseys and I, I, I made the brilliant decision to get a Booby Gibson Jersey. Oh, nice. Yeah. Strong move. Yeah. It's, uh, it's still sitting in my closet where it has been pretty much for the past four years untouched. But, uh, the missus bought, um, or she, she wanted to get a Verja Jersey and I'm like, all right, you can, but just, I know the Cavs are looking to rebuild now. And at that point he was probably our most tradable asset. And I just figured at that time, there's no way in hell this guy's going to be on the team for very long. She got the Jersey and lo and behold, here we are still kicking <laughs> five, six years later. And, and that, that Jersey's still legit. So nice. Beautiful. Yeah. So we'll see what happens. Nice. All right. Uh, let, let's wrap it up. Just want to thank everybody for checking out this week's episode. Reminder, as always, you can listen to all of our episodes on our website, thenailpodcast.com. iPhone and iPad users can subscribe to our show on iTunes. And if you're on Twitter, you can follow us at The Nail Podcast. So if the Cavs do make any big moves by the deadline on Thursday afternoon, uh, we might be back with a special episode this weekend. Uh, if our schedules allow it, we'll see what happens. But uh, otherwise, we will be back next week. So, for Travis Hewley, I am Tom Valentino, and this has been The Nail in the Coffin. Hit Pass Moto, sponsored by Moto America, is the show that keeps you up to speed on the latest in motorcycling and brings the biggest names in motorcycle racing right to you. From candid interviews with the top names in racing to providing insights into the trends and trendsetters driving the motorcycle industry, we have you covered. New episodes are available every Thursday at pitpassmoto.com and on your favorite podcast app. Ride on!